I'm Debbie Georgiatis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Trump 2020 must win in Texas. Trump campaign chairman for Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick joins me. Schumer and Rashida scold the Supreme Court. And finally, Hillary, Bill and Monica, a Hulu movie out tomorrow. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. And hello again and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On the First Five today, I just want to briefly mention in Texas, the great state of Texas where I do the show from, is a simply must win for President Trump in November, the November 2020 elections, simply because the Electoral College, the way the numbers work out, this is a must win territory. So I wanna mention briefly what, how President Trump did here in Texas as compared with the Democrat candidates on the ballot for the, in the primary this week on Super Tuesday. And then I wanna play for you an ad. I hardly ever do play ads and this is a chunk of time. This is a three minute ad, but this is, a Trump ad for the 2020 election cycle. And if it just lays down the argument about America's greatness and about how conservatives and Trump see America, its place and its future, and without saying a word about the Democrats, points out very clearly how very, very different their vision of America as is, um, is and also uh, how America's future will be under the left. It is a fabulous, you know, almost get out your uh, Kleenex teary-eyed ad about the greatness of America. But very first in Texas, just to mention some numbers here. So in Texas, you know, obviously people turn out for the primary because we have every member of Congress is up, other reasons people show up. However, in Texas, with the people showing up in the primary, despite the fact that the left claims all the time that President Trump isn't very popular, his own voters don't like him, blah, blah. In Texas, we had, even though Trump has no primary challenger, we had in Texas the a total number of people who turned out to vote for President Trump, even though no reason to have to do it because he has no primary challenger, 1.889 million people voted for President Trump. That is more than the total, more than the total of people who voted in the Democrat primary in Texas for Biden, Sanders, or Bloomberg. Their, their total on the American left was 1.636. Bottom line, over one quarter of a million, over 250,000 Texans, more Texans voted for Trump on primary day, Super Tuesday then voted for the Democrats, even though they had a very serious competition on the Democrat side. And now I want to play this Trump ad. I just, I, I can't wait to share it with you. And then we'll go right to speaking with Trump's campaign chairman for the state of Texas, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick. But here we go, Matt the Wonderful, with Trump's ad. America is a land of heroes a place where greatness is born, where destinies are forged, and where legends come to life. This is the home of Thomas Edison and Teddy Roosevelt, of many great generals, including Washington, Pershing, 
Patton and MacArthur. This is the home of Abraham Lincoln, Frederick Douglass, Amelia Earhart, Harriet Tubman, the Wright brothers, Neil Armstrong, and so many more. This is the country where children learn names like Wyatt Earp, Davy Crockett, and Annie Oakley. This is the place where the Pilgrims landed at Plymouth and where Texas Patriots made their last stand at the Alamo. The American nation was carved out of the vast frontier by the toughest, strongest, fiercest, and most determined men and women ever to walk on the face of the earth. Our ancestors braved the unknown, tamed the wilderness, settled the Wild West, lifted millions from poverty, disease, and hunger, vanquished tyranny and fascism, ushered the world to new heights of science and medicine, laid down the railroads, dug out the canals, raised up the skyscrapers. Our ancestors built the most exceptional republic ever to exist in all of human history, and we are making it greater than ever before. This is our glorious... You know what, I, folks, I don't even want to play the whole ad. It's so, so good. If you go to our website, americanchemistalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, you can see the, the link to this ad. It's just a stellar campaign ad. Not one nasty word about the opposition, about about the Democrat candidates, simply about the goodness of America. And with that, I'll close out today's first five by saying, President Trump ran, in my opinion, in 2016 on basically the restoring of the love of America, the strength of America, the, the I don't know what, what passion, the, the greatness of America. And this is what resonated with the voters in 2016. They wanted, after eight years of America bashing under the previous administration, they wanted to hear from someone who loves America. That's why he won in 2016. And here we are in 2020 in the next campaign cycle. And we have joining us online uh, by phone, we have Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who is serving as the Trump chairman for Texas. So hello, Lieutenant Governor Patrick. Hey, Debbie, great to be with you, as always. Boy, you've, you've, you've come a long way, as they say, and I'm real <laughs> proud of your success with the radio show. Well, I remember when you first started. Yeah, that was quite a few years ago, and you were very kind. You know, we've been friends a long time, because you came on that show, yeah. uh, previous show, a long time ago, too. So, well, thank you. You're very kind. Thank you. And actually, this is a compliment coming from you, because you're a former radio host, and now lieutenant governor, and also chair of the Trump campaign 2020 and for Texas. Yes, and uh, and you know it is such an honor to be uh, asked by him to chair his campaign again. I was uh, chair in sixteen, and you know going back in history, you know when Ted was running, and we had lots of people in the field, and Ted was our senator, and I was chair of his campaign in Texas. I didn't know uh, now President Trump in those days, and after the campaign was over, I reached out once uh, he had wrapped up the delegates. I reached out to the president and said, "Look." Um, I would like to help you. And uh, the first time we met, which was in San Antonio in the event, uh, he said to me, he said, so uh, so why do you want to help? I said, because we have to beat Hillary Clinton, and you're the guy, and I'll do everything I can for you. And, and that started what has now become a, a great relationship over uh, the last uh, uh, four years, and um, I'm, uh, I'm really uh, 
I'm just so excited about 2020. I think he's going to win bigger than he did in Texas last time, Debbie, which was nine points. He'll win bigger nationally, and he'll do that for a couple of reasons. Number one, there were some Republican groups out there that didn't support him, small groups, uh, but there were some Christian conservatives that we don't know, you know, if, if he really is going to follow through. Well, he did with the move in the embassy, and, and uh, he did with the Supreme Court justices on the pro-life issue and religious liberty, and, and uh, he's done so much for religious liberty since he's been president, and so they're all in. And then you had some business people who are Republicans and said, you know, I just don't know, and they're all in because they're doing very well. And, and then you had some never-Trumpers in our party, um, and uh, uh, except for maybe Bill Crystal, who I don't hear from anymore, uh, anywhere, <laughs> or seen on television, I think, I think they're all in. So, you know, that's probably another 6 or 7% right there of people who just stayed on the sidelines and didn't vote for Hillary or him. Uh, nationally or in Texas. And then, Debbie, you have um, the fact that he's going to do better with black voters and brown voters than he did last time. And let me give you this last, uh, for the next question, let me just give you this last tidbit. Uh, The reason I think he'll do better, let's take the state of Minnesota. In 2016, they spent $30,000. That's all they had in their budget for Minnesota. I mean, that's not enough for a a city council race in a small town. Right. $30,000 for the whole state, and they had a handful of volunteers, no paid staff now and they lost by one and a half points that was it any kind of money any kind of get out the boat effort there he would have won minnesota last time so he now has millions to spend there he has many paid staff on the ground hundreds of volunteers and that's the same thing in nevada new mexico uh three others two other states that i think he has a great chance of picking up uh this time as well I love all that. Yesterday, uh, right after Super Tuesday, I did, went over some of the numbers. Just fabulous turnout numbers in the midterms, which we, which we you know, the uh, Super Tuesday we just had, fabulous numbers for people turning out in, in an uncontested primary in the state you mentioned to vote for him. There's a signal from the ground to the presidency. We're with you. We love you. We want to go with you. So one, I want to hit a bunch of questions very quickly. I know you're short yeah. on, we're always short on time, but uh, in life. But one is, in Texas, there are many people, myself included, you just mentioned you also, we were uh, Ted Cruz supporters because he's our guy, he's our senator, we know him, we love him. Yeah. But um, most of us instantly came around, uh, or shortly after uh, Senator Cruz dropped out and President Trump became the nominee. I just sense among the Cruz supporters I know that everyone is so grateful for everything President Trump has done. I think there's just no residual left in Texas of people uh, who are a little bit supportive of Senator, or, or a lot supportive of Senator Cruz, want him to win. I just think the Cruz people have come around to see that Trump is exactly who we needed. You agree? Yeah, I, I agree. And, and it, is, it is a minuscule number. Uh, and you were giving some numbers early in the beginning. Uh, for example, in Tuesday night's election, there were 1,991,000, I mean, I'm sorry, 1,991,000 uh, that voted for uh, the propos- propositions, Proposition 7, to protect the monuments in the Alamo, for example. There were 1,989,000 uh, that voted for the president. So that's 2,000 people uh, out of almost 2 million <laughs> that did vote. So so uh, that's a minuscule number. And there's always someone. You never get, uh, you never get 100% on that who's going to uh, skip a race, whether it's for president, governor, lieutenant governor, U.S. Senate, whatever it may be. So he virtually now has 100% of support, or 99.99.99.99. 
And so that's that's a difference maker, and that's going to be that way all over the country. And, I, you know, uh, Debbie, I've always said that when you run for office, you should say what you're going to do, do what you said you were going to do, because that's what you're supposed to do. And that's why President Trump is so popular. He said what he was going to do. He did what he said he would do. And that's what he was supposed to do. And people reward that and, and honor that and appreciate it. They do. They reward it so much. Okay, so back to our distinction or difference between 2016 and 2020. In Texas in 2016, I'm sorry, 2018, we had Beto on the ballot, and we had, uh, people call it the Beto effect, where we had, in 2018, the midterms, we had some races in Texas closer than you might have expected to be. We had people on the GOP side of the aisle not winning as much uh, or by as large margins as you might have expected because all this excitement by Beto, Beto, about Beto, who turned out to be a completely empty suit. I don't see any Beto on the horizon in Texas, any Beto factor on the horizon in Texas in 2020. Do you? I do not. And and by the way, just to illustrate your numbers uh, and what you said is accurate. So Governor and I, Governor Abbott and I were on the ballot last uh, in 2018. Abbott received uh, between 1.7 and 1.8 million more votes than he did in 14 when we ran. Uh, he won by 20 points in uh, in 14, and this time he won by 12. So even though he got 1.7 to 1.8 million more votes, I received 1.5 million more votes. The governor always gets uh, more votes than lieutenant governor, a few there. Uh, I received 1.5 million more, uh, and my victory margin dropped from 19 to 5 points. So your point is well taken. Our Republicans showed up in waves last time. I mean, we said, to, to give you a comparison, Debbie, in 2014, the total Republican turnout in the off-year election, the off-year election is the governor and lieutenant governor election. Yep. In 2014, we, Governor Abbott and I had approximately 2.7 million votes. In 2018, uh, Governor Abbott and I had between 4.2 and 4.6 million votes. So our Republicans turned out really to fight back against Beto, even though... Um, you know, we didn't have a marked race at the top. I mean, the governor was running, and I was running, and, and uh, Ted Cruz was running. That was the marquee race with Beto, and that drove a lot of Democrats out. But um, but our voters showed up, and you're right, there's not a Beto on the ticket. And a lot of those people who had Beto signs in their yards, which included some moderate Republicans, uh, uh, I know because I'd see signs in yards for uh, Ted Cruz and Greg, I mean, uh, for, for Beto O'Rourke and Greg Abbott, not a lot, but some of you'd say, well, what are they thinking? Well, all of those people discovered he was an empty suit. And now, with, with uh, him being embraced uh, this Tuesday night or Monday night in Dallas um, by Biden, and Biden saying, I'm going to make you my gun czar. And here's uh -huh. a guy that said, I'm going to come and take your AR-15, and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to take your guns from you. Um, well, he's going to sink like a stone, and he's going to sink Biden or, or, or Bernie, or if it's Michelle, if they go to a broker convention, they pick her, whoever it is. Uh, he's going to sink him like a stone because what Biden has done is now inject Beto back into the into the debate. But Beto wasn't tested against Ted Cruz. The media never asked him questions. They let yep. him get a free ride, and uh, so this time Beto is is a liability. He's not, he, and so it's going to make the margin even bigger of a victory uh, if Biden is the guy and he's got Beto out there as his surrogate. I could not agree more. And if we had another half an hour, I'd run through a bunch of other points. But I, I couldn't agree more. I, was hey, so I can go another. I can go another ten minutes with you, Deb, if you want. 
Okay, so I, I can go. And, and you know, we both can speak so quickly as well. You're many blessings. You speak quickly like I do. But okay. first of all, I was going to say I was so surprised and I thought it was just tone deaf that Biden commented in Texas how he would agree and be fine with Beto or Beto, how are you supposed to say it? as his yep. guns are. I mean, this is this is tone deaf in Texas. I mean, I know that Biden makes many, many missteps and, and gets confused, but I thought if you're trying to shoot yourself in the foot, you would say that in the state of Texas. I mean, I, th- I think it'll hurt him in Texas, even with yeah. moderate Democrats, don't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. Look, the, the Hispanic vote, and I, and I was on Tucker Carlson the other night, and, and, and again, Shannon Breen uh, last night or the night before, talking about this issue of Hispanic voters. and. Mm-hmm how the Democrats are counting on Hispanic voters. And by the way, in the Democrat primary, many of them went with Bernie uh, and not with Biden. But the majority of Hispanic voters line up with us. They line up with conservative values. They line up with the, with Governor Abbott or myself or Ted Cruz or, 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 or President Trump because they are pro-life. Yeah. Uh, they are pro-economic opportunity, pro-educational opportunity. They want a secure border. They want law and order on the border, uh, and they're pro-religious uh, freedom, uh, and and they're pro-Second Amendment. You know, there are lots of Hispanics that, that are proud gun owners, like I am, and and uh, and everyone else is. And so, if the Democrats, you know, the, the reason I think they're going to plummet in 2020 and it's going to be a disaster for them, because they are now stuck on the message. Even though if Biden's the guy or whomever it is at Broker Convention, they are stuck on this message of of abortion. They're stuck on the message of open borders. They're stuck on the message of free everything for everyone. That's not what Hispanics believe in. Uh, they're stuck on the message of they want to uh, joke Biden said he's going to eliminate all charter schools. That's a big issue for Hispanic voters. So all these issues, Debbie, they are, they're on the wrong side. And him having Beto, you're absolutely right. He's tone deaf. Um, but look, I, look the, the other state that he won the other night that no one uh, talked about was the state of confusion. The guy's always in a state of confusion. Yeah. Okay, one other quick thing I want to mention is so interesting. I saw the numbers, like you this morning a little bit. I was so surprised in Texas. I know that Biden got a big bump the day before the Super Tuesday, and a bunch of people jumped on board with him. But I would have thought Democrats in Texas, generally speaking, would be more moderate and that Biden would have gotten you know, 50 or 60 percent of the Democrat primary vote for president. But as it turned out on the Democrat side, Biden did win Texas, but it was late. I went to bed before they had the final call of it. Biden got 34 and Sanders got 30 percent of the Texas Democrat vote for primary, which leads me to say, I wonder what all of these Sanders supporters are going to do. They're, they're beside themselves. Their guy might not win the primary, might not win the nomination. And I wonder if they just stay home. I mean, it's just an amazing thing to watch this party having drawn so many people to the radical left views that Sanders has. And now Sanders, he's probably not going to win the nomination. I wonder what they all do, especially in the great state of Texas. Well, uh, very interesting, Debbie, and you're absolutely right. I've, I've been saying all along that the, when, when there were multiple candidates up there on the stage for the Democrats, that uh, no matter who won, they had a problem. If uh, Let's just go back a few weeks when there you know, were six or seven or eight up on the stage. If, if Bernie won, then a lot of the moderates uh, were going to stay home, uh, and, and there would be a lot, a lot of older Democrats would stay home. Um, and so that would, that would hurt their national ticket. If someone else won and Bernie didn't get the nomination or it was taken from him or people feel like he was ganged up on by the establishment, Debbie, you're right. Those people aren't coming out. 
I, I would I would venture to say of that thirty percent who voted for Bernie in Texas, I'd be surprised if twenty percent came out. And and I mean that's a huge drop off for for Biden or whomever they have at the ticket because his people are really invested in him. And even though we've seen numbers now in Texas and nationally that he didn't turn out as many young voters as he thought he would, despite yeah. his big rallies and his big support with young voters. But the young voters are the ones who will not come out. I mean, it's hard to get them out, as Bernie found out this week. But not only that, once their candidate, whomever it is that they've invested in and knocked on doors, once their person is out, they're not going to show up and vote. So that's another reason why Trump wins by a bigger margin than before. Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, first of all, it's fun to I just catch your energy talking with you. I mean, I love that you're involved again uh, in Texas on behalf of the Trump campaign, bringing the chairing the Texas effort to uh, for Donald Trump in this 2020 election cycle. And you're um, I, I love the energy. I love where we are in this country, where we where as we head yeah. into the 2020 elections, the numbers are fabulous for President Trump. Employment numbers, economic numbers, all sorts of good news bursting out. And um, so, and just, I think we're in great shape. And I thank you so much for taking time. I know you're a busy man. Thank you so much for calling into the hey, show today. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. We'll do it again. Thanks, Debbie. Great talking to you, sir. Bye-bye. Okay, take, bye-bye. Okay, one other thing I want to tell you in the elections, folks, before we get off this topic is this. I read this number today, and I actually thought it was a typo. Like, I, I thought it couldn't. They had like, zeros placed incorrectly. Did you realize on this big, uh, leading up to Super Tuesday, where we had, you know, we, we had that on Tuesday and we went over the results in great detail. But leading up to Super Tuesday, the combination of the amount of money spent by just two leftist billionaires, Tom Steyer, who was out by Tuesday, by Super Tuesday. So Tom Steyer, who's just a, you know, a, a billionaire, made his money on fossil fuels and now he's Mr. Anti-Fossil Fuels, a little hypocritical there, combined with the money spent by Bloomberg, Mike Bloomberg now out also, Bloomberg running on a with a plan that basically said, I don't talk to people, I don't, I don't get around with the, you know, the pedestrian, the common people, oh yuck, I don't talk to these people. I just hire these fancy advertising agencies and they put ads out, that's how I win. Between Steyer and Bloomberg, two leftist billionaires, they spent, before both now being out of the race, they spent over one B as in boy billion dollars. One billion, $63 million, just those two characters and out. And by the way, Bloomberg, still out of touch with reality, commented after withdrawing from the race that, um, well, you know, he still, Bloomberg said of himself, he still could have won in November against Trump. No connection to reality. Final point on the elections um, is that it was just very, very interesting today. Finally, uh, Elizabeth Warren pulled out today. She uh, had some underlings allegedly in negotiations with the um, Bernie Sanders team, I think trying to get some concessions on policy. She wants to tell herself she won something, so she's out. We're pretty much down to Biden and Bernie. And um, and I think either way, the Democrats have a very, very hard time convincing America, given where we are, that they we should be, ought to be changing, as they say, changing horses in the middle of the stream. Okay, folks, we hit the next one I want to talk about. This got a lot of attention, which um, often things don't relate to the Supreme Court. It's kind of a, you know, I'm a lawyer by background. I'm a little bit wonky. I love to read decisions. I love to analyze legal issues. But for most people, it's not that interesting. However, 
there was quite a scene in front of the Supreme Court, and, and this was uh, yesterday, because there were comments being made at a protest outside the Supreme Court, a protest because there was an issue being discussed, a case being discussed inside the Supreme Court that concerned the American left. The issue had to do with abortion. I'm going to play the clip. This is a, this is the senior leader of the Democrat Party, the minority leader of the U.S. Senate, Chuck Schumer, live outside the Supreme Court. I'm going to play what he said and then we'll talk about it. And they're taking away fundamental rights. I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. Okay. I want to... I think this is more important maybe than some people do. I understand that Chuck Schumer has, you know, free speech rights. He's allowed to talk. He's allowed to comment on the Supreme Court. He's allowed to weigh in. He's allowed to hold a rally. But what he said in that clip we just played crossed the line from even vigorous or rigorous commentary into threatening those two justices whom he mentioned by name. Kavanaugh and Gorsuch. These two justices appointed by President Trump, known to be pro-life, are going to be ruling on a case involving abortion, involving uh, the right to abortion. And in specifics, the challenge, of course, is not just the particular case in front of these judges, but the larger question the left has been complaining and worried about, which is, whether the Supreme Court will overturn at some point, will overturn Roe versus Wade, the decades-old decision that found a right to an abortion written into the Constitution in, you know, in, in some truly manipulated, contorted way, took non-existent language in the Constitution and magically discovered a right to an abortion. I think Roe versus Wade was not was wrongly decided. It was wrongly decided, and because they they found a right that isn't there. It was an extension of the right to privacy, a previous decision that found a constitutional right to privacy. I think that's a closer question if that's a legitimate interpretation of the Constitution. But Roe versus Wade just basically said, based on that right to privacy, there's a right to an abortion. So Supreme Court has a case in front of it. It involves a state law in which they are requiring abortion clinics to have doctors on hand who have privileges, meaning the right to practice medicine at a local hospital. So when things go wrong in abortion clinics, these doctors can make their way to a hospital where they have privileges to take care of the life of the mother whose life may be in danger based on an abortion having for some reason gone bad. The point is, in our country, many states have been trying to pass laws growing restrictions on abortion. Many people on the left and perhaps rightly think that these decisions are continuing to chip away at what they thought and they want to argue is an absolute right under Roe versus Wade, absolute right to abortion, no restrictions whatsoever, and states continue to, to chip away at that. So there's a case like that in front of the Supreme Court right now. But I want to make two points about what Schumer had to say and tell you also what something about what Taleb had to say 
and contrast it with comments made by President Trump. But number one about Schumer is he's actually threatening these justices. Now, he would say, you know, and he did say later, I wasn't really threatening them. I didn't mean something bad would happen to them. I'm really threatening the Republican majority in the Senate who put these guys on the court. That's who I'm threatening. And so he's trying to back off. It's not what he said, but he's trying to back off. So he's got to, you know, he realizes he went too far and he gets caught up in the, in, in the, you know, milieu of this protest outside the Supreme Court where he's got these strident pro-abortion protesters and they cannot agree to any restriction of any kind, even having a restriction that involves the protection of the safety and health of the mother, even those are not okay with them. So he got caught up in the moment and the crowd's cheering him on and he's their big hero, which leads me to the second point. It is the bizarrest thing, bizarrest place where the Democrat Party has found itself at this time, where they are standing on abortion as a right equivalent to the real rights that we actually do fight for in this country, freedom of speech, freedom of religion, freedom of assembly, the freedoms that are God-given freedoms recognized in the Declaration and emboldened and, and fleshed out in the Constitution. Those kind of rights are what our side stands for. The left has made abortion into a sacrament, into a, it, it is that can never be touched, can never be altered. They're more willing, the left is more willing to attack and put limits on the freedom of religion, the freedom of speech, the freedom of assembly, than they are on any restriction of any kind on abortion. And I think as, as recent studies have shown, uh, more and more people are aware of the ugliness or the brutality, the grotesque nature of the abortion process, especially in late-term abortion, where people are, are beginning to understand what's really going on and what the left is really, really protecting. And, and the, but the left, at this point, they have locked themselves into that, they have backed themselves into that corner. They have decided no matter what, that's what they stand for. And so Schumer getting carried away with the excitement of the moment actually spoke in a threatening way. And so I think it is good that there was a response to Supreme Court. Uh, Justice Roberts, Chief Justice Roberts, did in a written form simply say essentially that there were comments made today relating to two particular justices that were that were threatening and basically the justices are going to go through and reach their decisions based on the law and basically will not be threatened. So he, in a very mild rebuke, Justice Roberts did say to Schumer, you know, we, we don't go there. So you don't know if you didn't hear what Tlaib said, so you know, Rashida Tlaib, she's a member of U.S. Congress. She's not Senate. She's Congress. But she is a uh, she's one of the the uh, AOC squad. She is a first term representative from the state of Michigan. And she gave a speech also same platform, same place where Schumer was. She gave a speech in which she said outside the Supreme Court that as she said, as I have said in the past, when I was a member because she was a member of the Michigan legislature, she said, you know, if those people out there who want to tell me to do it with my body and tell me what I can do with my body, she's talking about people who believe in any sort of restrictions or limitations on abortion. She said, you know what, and I'm sorry, this is a little X-rated here, but she went on to say on live camera, you can find it if you want to, I'm not going to play it, but you can find it on YouTube. She said, if you people want to support, you know, support anyone who wants to support restrictions on my body, so don't have sex with me. Okay, 
first of all, I think most people in the country are thinking, you know, no one, no one's, uh, no one's too interested in that invitation anyway. But the, I'm getting at the point. I'm telling you what she had to say to make the point that this has become such an extreme. We are committed. This is what we get to do. We get to have abortion, and we and they're just they are worked up into a frenzy over the idea that a state might want to have women going to abortion clinics having access to quality care should something go wrong, which it sometimes does, which does lead to the death of women through the abortion process or after the abortion is finished. So the idea of life-saving legislation to protect women, to enable them to get help in time in case they have a botched abortion, this is even not okay. They're so concerned. There's this sacrosanct right to an abortion trumps for them laws that would even protect the health of the women. So you had, you know, Schumer threatening Supreme Court justices to lay it making crass remarks about her defense of the abortion right. And then you heard people on the left say, well, you know, so what if that's what Schumer said? Because look what Trump says all the time. Trump just weighed in last week on Sotomayor, two weeks ago, on Sotomayor. And so he criticized the judiciary too. And I actually think it does matter to make the distinction to know how to respond to that argument. President Trump did criticize a dissent in a written published opinion, a dissent by Sotomayor, which impugned the integrity of the majority of the justices. Sotomayor basically said, I don't have the language in front of me, but her basic point was that the majority of the court impugning their integrity, saying the majority of the court, they just go along whatever Trump wants. They are not following the law. They are not applying the law accurately. They're just, she accused them of being political hacks in plain English. And so President Trump criticized her and Ginsburg and just said, basically, you know, this is out of line. This does not comport with your judicial, your duty as a member of the judiciary. This is not how we talk. He did not threaten her. Distinction number one, he did not threaten her. He didn't threaten anyone. And other comments President Trump has made in the course of his candidacy and in the course of his presidency do refer specifically to federal court decisions, district and appellate court decisions, but his comments relate to the decisions issued by judges that, in his view, and the view of many serious scholars, are incorrect decisions that seem more driven by the political agenda of the left to get to the result they want, which is to stop President Trump from protecting the borders, stop President Trump from revising our refugee status in order to make sure we don't bring people here who mean us harm, and an attack, generally speaking, on stopping President Trump in his tracks. He viewed many decisions, as many scholars do, legal scholars do, as simply having no basis in law. It's a very different thing to say, very different thing to say for the president and anyone else to say that a decision does not comport with the law, that a decision by a judge is inconsistent with the law he or she is supposed to be following. And so you're criticizing the decision than to threaten the judges by name, as Schumer did. And I'm not saying, because I do think the old expression was fair for the goose is fair for the gander, or rule of law, same rule apply to all. Just because you put on a judicial robe, just because you've taken an oath and you fulfill your job as a judge, does not mean you have put on a cloak protecting you from all criticism. 
the American public and elected officials are entitled to criticize decisions made by courts. You can criticize decisions and you better do it, especially when you are in the position President Trump is in, which is he ends up having most of his agenda stalled or a great deal of his agenda stalled by a federal appellate courts who simply mock and ridicule his efforts to bring our refugee system, our immigration system, our visa process system into line with his agenda to keep America safer. You can criticize a decision, very different when you threaten a judge. And that rule applies to both sides. And just because judges are judges, even the vaunted Supreme Court justices or all the judges in this country, you are not entitled to immunity from criticism. You shouldn't be threatened, but you're not entitled to immunity from being threatened. That, my friends, is the difference between the way Trump has spoken about the judges and the way that uh, se Senior Senator Schumer, I mean, a guy, and I have one last point about this before I get to my, my one last topic. Schumer has been in the Senate, it's like for 150 years. Okay, maybe not that. Whatever it is, 33, 36 years, been there forever, well knows the, the cameras are rolling, the microphones are rolling. He knows what he is saying. He knows he is getting national attention. He is, he is working on behalf of the Democrat Party in that speech, trying to convey to the American public, uh, the, the subsection of women in the American public who ardently support abortion with no restrictions whatsoever, regardless of the health and safety of the mother, he's talking to them. It's political. He knows what he's doing. He's been in front of the camera enough to know what you can say that is critical and what you can say that is threatening. He made a calculated decision. I'm going to get this out there because I want those judges to be worried. I want those judges to be frightened. Now, I'm going to tell you, I don't really think personally he would engage in violence against any of them. I'm not accusing him of that. But there are a lot of nutty people on the American left, frankly, on the right, too. A lot of nutty people out there in the world. And for a senior senator, the minority leader of the Senate, to threaten justice, Supreme Court justices, with violence is not okay. It's not was not a cavalier offhand remark at some cocktail party. It was a decision he made to speak that way. And Justice Supreme Court Justice Roberts was exactly right in calling him out on it. One last topic for today. And I honestly, this is the most interesting story. I got to tell you folks, I did not, I mean, I'm telling you, 45 minutes ago, or maybe an hour and a half ago, I hadn't even seen this story. But now I want to tell you about it. it's the most amazing thing. Tomorrow, tomorrow night on Hulu, which, you know, many of you, the way you listen to movies anymore, where we don't, most people don't even go to theaters, you'll listen on, on movies. Hulu is running a, a special, and it is a, it's an exclusive to them. It's a movie they've done called Hillary. And in the movie Hillary, is about Hillary Clinton, and Bill Clinton is interviewed in this movie, as is Hillary, and I think Chelsea also, and the entire point of the movie, the entire point is for Bill Clinton to explain to the American people, to excuse to the American people why he engaged in his grotesque and inappropriate conduct toward Monica Lewinsky while she was an intern in the White House. 
It's an opportunity for Bill Clinton to tell America how terribly sorry he was about this and how he feels just terrible because what he did with Monica Lewinsky in the White House defined her life forever. He feels terrible about that. He goes on. I mean, you, this article, I'm telling you, you got to go to our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down, list of links. You can read the link to this article. If it's not up there, it'll be up there shortly. I, I came across it so late, I'm not sure if it's up there. But in any case, it'll be up there. The point is, Bill Clinton and Hillary agreed to make a movie for Hulu that lets Bill go on and on telling America how terribly sorry he is about the uh, episode with Monica Lewinsky, how he's sorry he ruined her life, how it was the hardest thing he ever had to do to sit down and tell Hillary about it and how livid and angry and hurt she was, and then how even worse it was for him to have to sit down and tell Chelsea about it, explain to her what he'd done, and isn't it just terrible? I'm, I'm, and he feels so terrible about it, and, and so this the whole movie is about how terrible he feels about how, you know, it was terribly wrong and he ruined Monica's life. And I want to tell you folks my take on this, and I think this does actually matter. It has political significance to our country. Number one, Bill Clinton did not simply engage in extramarital, inappropriate, intimate conduct with Monica Lewinsky. Bill Clinton is a serial, serial repetitive cheater. He's a serial, cheated on his wife, cheated on her over and over, a serial adulterer. I'm talking about when she was running, first running for president, she, Hillary, they had a special talking about how even Hillary and Bill were engaged. He went off with some other woman and had intimate relations with her and Hillary found out and she had to really ask herself, do I really want to marry this guy? Okay, yes, I do, whatever. I don't really care what he did. So she marries him. This has been Bill Clinton. We're talking the dozens of extramarital dalliances on his part, including a credible, credible accusation of rape, including something like 26 flights on Jeffrey Epstein's plane down to Fantasy Island or whatever they call that island that Epstein had. This is a guy who has cheated and cheated and cheated long before Monica Lewinsky, long after Monica Lewinsky, and somehow it's relevant for him to do a movie on Hulu to talk about this one time he's really, really sorry it was terrible. He'd like again to say how sorry he was. Nothing, and mark my words, nothing the Clintons ever do is done for the reason they say it's done. Or put the other way, everything the Clintons do has some other motive. Everything they do has some other mission or motive. So the fact that they're doing a film on Hulu about, you know, come clean, tell it all, I'm so terribly sorry, and terribly sorry I ruined Monica Lewinsky's life, this has to do somehow, not just with his legacy, maybe he's trying to fix his legacy, but far more likely it has to do with Hillary Clinton's further political agenda. She says in this interview that she was willing to go with the movie because she has no other political plans. She's not running for anything. I'm telling you folks, she's running for president. The movie didn't get made overnight. Obviously months in the works. And so somehow Hillary's watching this primary realizing Sanders is the disaster. Biden is senile. She can't see a viable player up there. 
So she's keeping herself in the running in the minds of voters in this country, in the minds of the Democrat Party, of saying, hey, I'm here. Okay, this one little thing we had, this problem with Bill, let's do a, you know, she generates, let's do a mea culpa on the part of Bill. She generates, she believes, sympathy for herself, the poor wife being cheated on, and she was so hurt and so shocked and could not believe it, which is not true. I'm, I'm sorry, when your husband cheated on you dozens of times and he continues to cheat on you, she has decided years ago she's okay with that. Whether she likes it, whatever her thought about it is, she never was going to leave him regardless of his infidelity. It was part of the deal they made when they got married. And so this idea of somehow, out of the blue, decades later, they're gonna launch a Hulu movie tomorrow night and talk about whatever it is they, you know, what. He, oh, and oh, Bill Clinton said he wanted the opportunity to explain to America why he got involved with Monica, and the why, the answer, says he, is that the job he had was really stressful. He was just, just stressed out. He was so stressed out and so stressed out he couldn't even just, you know, he just could hardly handle it. So but given that he was that stressed, he had to do something about it, and he had to end up, you know, just this relieved stress, this, this intimacy with Monica Lewinsky relieved his stress. That's his excuse. And I raise this story to say, I'm not urging you to watch the Hulu movie. I am urging you to recognize Hillary is up to something. Somehow she sees this as a benefit to her and or her husband or her political future or maybe Chelsea's political future too, but there's no way it is simply a desire to come clean or to express their how sorry they are because if this was a one-time uh, misadventure by Bill Clinton, it might be believable. This is a this is one in a series of dozens of of instances of infidelity on his part. Somehow they see this as serving her future political interests. One more point before I tell you, turn to telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. On my website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on the homepage, you can go there and hit the button that says subscribe. You'll get a once weekly email from me on Fridays. It links to all the interviews you've had over the previous week. It links to all the show segments. It's a great way to catch up on the show for you and the weekend if you missed it. It's a great way to share the show. You are free to forward my email to anyone. Love to have you do that. Number two in the homepage, there is a donate button. I want to tell you people that I love doing this show, Speaking Up for America. I love doing it. I know because of some things I can see and maybe you can't. Social media does not like shows like mine. They don't like conservatives putting truth out there. This is a huge year for America, 2020. A huge year for shows like mine, Speaking Up for America, going diving into depth on issues that matter. Social media, you know, I don't even have to name the companies here. I know who I'm talking about. They mess with shows like mine. They have been and they will. So if you'd like to help my show, I ask for a donation. This show is entirely funded by donations. If you go to the homepage on americachemitalk.org, hit the donate button. You can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation, and those donations will go to marketing efforts we can do to get around social media trying to block this show, to get this show out to more people in part of our effort to preserve this most extraordinary experiment in human liberty, which is America. And now I'll tell you why the stories you talked about today matter to you.
So to start with, we have our very first story, Trump 2020 must win. America is the most important nation in the world. We are the leader in freedom and opportunity. President Trump is rebuilding our brand and America loves it. Texas is vitally important to preserving America, given its size, roots in conservative economic and civic principles and leadership and our electoral college clout. Can't win America without winning Texas. The Texas heritage is the American heritage, independence, and self-reliance. The long-hoped-for blue wave offers Texas nothing good and is not going to happen. Trump's vote equal, excuse me, Trump's vote totals in the Texas primary indicate a red landslide is coming. Steyer, Bloomberg spending over $1 billion made no difference. American people know what's right and true. They don't get duped. But coronavirus, wanted to mention this, I didn't get to this with Dan Patrick, but the coronavirus may induce economic slowdown. We need to be honest about that. We have to respond carefully to that. And we've got to recognize that that slowdown may come. It's not due to Trump's policies, but it might be due to coronavirus, which we have to deal with and we are dealing with. Next slide, Schumer and Rashida scold the Supreme Court. Chuck Schumer is not a novice politician. He's the Senate Democrat leader, 21 years. His personal direct threats to Gorsuch and Kavanaugh were willful, deliberate, and calculating, and all about and all in allegiance to the leftist sacrament of abortion. Rashida Tlaib is less experienced, but no less deliberate and more crass. There are the voices and tactics of today's, these people are the voices and tactics of today's Democrat Party, bullying intolerance toward anyone who disagrees with their leftist dogma. Do not buy the Trump does it to argument. Trump has never threatened any judge, but he has responded to what judges publicly say about him and the court in the case of Ginsburg and Sotomayor. And he has called out Obama-appointed judges whose decisions seem to ignore the law for the purpose of opposing Trump policies. Like everyone else, judges should not be threatened, and they also are not entitled to be free of criticism. And finally on the Clintons, added again, upcoming Hulu tell-all, clear the air interview is sheer political contrivance, as is, as is everything ever done by the Clintons. It is not a tell-all, nor a clear the air. The Clintons' marriage has been a political calculation sham from the beginning. Monica Lewinsky was not an isolated indiscretion. She wasn't the first and she wasn't the last. Jennifer Flowers, Juanita Broderick, Paula Jones, et al, et al, et al. 26 post-presidential trips on the Lolita Express to Jeffrey Epstein's Orgy Island. Lovely. I think I said Fantasy Island earlier, but the better name, the real name we have here, Orgy Island. The Daily Mail effort, and this is an article in Daily Mail, I urge you to read, looks like a, a rehab, reset positioning of Hillary Clinton to re-enter the 2020 race. Unclear if there are any Americans left who buy their act anymore. And that, my friends, is America Can We Talk for today. Love to hear from you. Email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Yes, I'm way behind in responding, but I do try to respond. Love hearing from you about the stories that interest you. Love hearing people suggest topics we go into. I love talking to you every Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time on America Can We Talk, where I always talk truth about America because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America?